This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. When I say the word spiritual wounds, most people scratch their heads and, you know, like, what the heck am I talking about, right? And so if you're like a lot of people, this is the norm. And hardly ever do do we hear anybody talk about spiritual wounds. And so tonight's show is about the, you know, your personal wounds being an extension of a source wound. But what in the world is that, right? And so we hear about the emotional and the physical stuff and the mental wounds, but we don't talk about spiritual wounds uh, as part of, of the mystery of this business of wounding or, or, or being wounded. Uh, in fact, it's, it tends to be a non-topic. So tonight's show is, is, about, is about that and, and how, the, how the source wound or what the source wound is. And really, I guess the distinction that the soul's intent is making uh, about the difference between a psychological wound and a spiritual wound because there's a unique difference. And so when I, when I posted that Irma, you know, and I always ask you this, what, uh, what came to your mind uh, when you were thinking about it? I wasn't exactly sure um, what you were meaning by personal history as an extension of our source wound. Yeah, I'm talking about your psychological history. Oh, as an extension of the source wound. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think I'm really clear on on what you're meaning. So maybe yeah. you can help me with that. Well, and and I think this is one thing that I want the listeners to get is is that if there's any if there's any uniqueness in what I'm trying to bring. I mean, you asked me a great question the other day in a conversation that if I had a five minute spot and I was on television and somebody asked me, you know, in five minutes, can, can you sum up? what is the core teaching you're trying to get across? And I said to you that um, we are spiritual beings having a psychological experience. And that's it. I mean, end of story, right? As soon as, as, soon as you say that, it's like we, we go from there. But what we are is a culture of psychologically wounded people longing for or searching for some kind of spiritual connection. And so tonight, uh, you know, when we talk about what source wounds are, we heard a, a famous guy the other day, uh, what's his name, Robbins, Tony Robbins, talking about mm-hmm. that people tend to focus on lack and loss and never. Those are the three fears that people have, fear of loss, fear of not being enough, uh, fear of never being, you know, having the life that they hope for. So when we think about wounding or being wounded, we're almost all of us are kind of uh, locked into a psychological understanding of that. So what I want to talk about tonight is is the distinction between the two wounds and how they play out in our day-to-day lives, but how important the distinction is. And so one of the things that that I've been saying to you and I've been saying to the listeners that they've been paying attention is, is that if somebody asks you, how do you know you are a spiritual being having psychological experiences, uh, what would you say? Now, you know, you've you've been kind of coached by me, so you already know what you would say. <laughs> but 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 if you had to put it into your own words before you met me, before you talked to me, Irma, how would you know uh, that you've been spiritually wounded versus psychologically wounded? How do you think you would have answered that? 
if you were to ask me personally, I probably would have said, I don't feel that I have a spiritual wound. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was before <laughs> before talking with you and learning from you, but that's probably how I would have answered. Yeah. That I don't feel like, yeah. Okay, but now that you have a deeper understanding of the of the teachings, what, what would you say now today about that? If you were spiritually wounded, what was the wound? That any of the buying into the conditioning of um, what's not authentically the essence of my being would have caused, but that would be more psychological, um, but I was going to say it would have caused a feeling of not okayness. Yeah, something's off. Yeah. It would be a sensation yeah, that something's okay. off. Yeah, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I baited you on that. I know, and, but 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 I also know that both of us were dealing with um, a truth that we were being fed, and at some level we had to go, no, that's not it. That's not it. You know, right. and so we held mm-hmm. on to some of it was conscious, some of it was unconscious, but we held on to this idea that there's a larger truth than what I'm being told, or what I'm being conditioned to believe. And so um, tonight's show is really about, you know, kind of answering the question, how do you know you're a spiritual being having psychological experiences? We already know that most of the population would probably fall down on the other side of that equation, which is that they're psychological beings longing for a spiritual connection. Right. Uh, And the answer, of course, how we know is uh, that I go all the way back to to the very very beginning which is conception. And of mm-hmm. course in conception what I am reminding people of is what science just recently kind of uh, supported and that is that we come into the world as a as a burst of light when a sperm fertilizes an egg a burst of light happens and in fact you can tell uh how healthy the egg is by the by how bright the flash is. So I was excited to find that science because I no longer had to use a metaphor to talk about the human soul. So, so in that experience of of uh, a soul being created, when a sperm comes in contact with an egg, we then stay in that environment and in that world, which is really outside of time because it's it's in, it's eternal because it's connected to life itself, uh, the soul. And we stay in that environment for you know nine nine months in the womb, and then once the umbilical cord is cut, you know two years outside of the womb uh, before the onset of language. So what I'm giving people is a way to defend, which is a probably not the best word to use, but to support the idea that they are spiritual beings uh, being forced to live a psychological existence, and because they have a memory, a precognitive memory of that. It's stored in the cells of who we are, and it's stored in the body. So, and, so, and that was my answer to your question. Uh, mm-hmm. If somebody put me on the spot and said, you know, what's the, what's the core teaching that you want the soul's intent to get across, that would, be the, that would be the core teaching, that we are spiritual beings trying to understand a psychological existence. And we're taking a lot of different paths to get to... Uh, to get to some version of truth of that. That is so crystal, crystal clear and, and so such a solid teaching to support people in. It really yeah. is. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you go, I mean, I, I went to a couple websites tonight uh, before the show started to just kind of get a sense of what people were saying about spiritual wounds, and and I found two or three sites, and literally they were all giving psychological wounds. Mm. They were they were talking about shame. They were talking about guilt, rejection, abandonment. These are psychological wounds, and uh, mm-hmm. and so in, in that discussion that you and I had about the difference. A mentor of mine uh, said it more clearly than I said it the first time because I actually had um, one of the people that attended a workshop that I went to in Chicago ask that question, what is the difference between a spiritual psychological wound? And I said, well, a, a, a spiritual wound is, a, is, is predictable because it has to do with being cut away from the source. And a psychological wound is unpredictable because it's a wound to the ego. Well, my mentor said it differently and said it better. He said that um, that a spiritual wound was an event that happens outside of time that separates us from God or from the eternal. A psychological wound separates us from each other. So a psychological wound has to do with relationships, the one you're having with yourself and the one you're having with the world around you. A spiritual wound is a is is a a wound to your relationship with God, or in the context of the soul's intent, the relationship you're having with your own soul, your own divinity, that people would say. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so so as you as you hear that, Irma, and you and I have talked about it a lot off the air. It, you know, what what is your reaction to that, and what is your thought about that? Based on the definition that you just gave. Um, that your your mentor shared with you, I'm just thinking, gosh, what if you have both? Of course, we're going to have a spiritual wound because we're born into a world that kind of conditions us psychologically. And so as we go about our lives, we do feel out of sync because um, most of us try and fit into that psychological conditioning, and that creates this being out of sync. So we all um, have a spiritual wound, but I'm thinking since we all have a spiritual wound, but then we get psychologically wounded as well, which separates us from each other, and a spiritual wound separates us from Hmm. source, that uh, would be a pretty hard way It's a double whammy. It's a double, a double whammy. whammy yeah. It's a double whammy. It's a double hit, and that's and I, and I like it that you put it that way. That that we actually have two wounds. We have the separation from the source, which is really out of our awareness, and really at a time in our lives when we are not able to evaluate the context of what is happening to us. So we just kind of store it away as a precognitive memory stored in the cells in the body of who we are. It's remembered in the heart later on, of course. But initially, it's out of our awareness. And then the second wound, which turns out to be the dominant wound, isn't that ironic? You know, the, mm. the, the, the wound that carries the most weight is the psychological wound, and not because we make the choice, but because the choice is made for us. That's interesting that you use the word that it's the dominant wound because it it would be because mm-hmm. it's it's almost, it's almost all consuming. Yeah, and one of my one of my interns said to me tonight because we, we were talking about it before going on the air that he he went kind of like yeah, isn't that ironic we we spend our whole lives trying to get back to it, and I said mm-hmm. yeah, it's a mm-hmm. full circle experience. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about that in spiritual in, or in the spiritual community, do they, Irma? That they think about that they're making a full circle attempt. No, I don't think they really do. I, I you know, as you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in different spiritual communities, and I can't say I ever heard anyone actually say. Um, I'm a spiritual being having psychological experiences or to even talk about um, the differences between a spiritual wound and a psychological wound. I've never really heard that before. You said it actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I, and which, which again is the, is the impetus for me to want to do this work to begin with, because I've spent a career uh, watching people go through spiritual crisis as they were undergoing trauma and and of course if you've been following my show trauma is amputation paralysis stroke heart attack head injury blindness deafness i mean i'm talking serious physical trauma and in that place of trauma uh, many of many of my patients were going through a crisis because what they believed to be true what they believed that they were connected with or to uh was somehow punishing them for living the wrong kind of life. Many yeah. of them felt like that their physical wounding experience, whatever it was, they somehow brought on themselves and they somehow were deserving of it. And 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 in that and in that that place of of crisis, I had the challenge of going like, "Whoa, wait a minute, that's not what's happening here." You know, what's happening is is that your wound is putting you in touch with the source wound, which is the separation from the eternal. And so I say in my work that that the human spirit is born uh, when we get cut away from the mother and we feel that cutting away as a faded break and it creates an angst and, and it's a natural angst and it's a feeling reaction to the immediate moment, to, to, to the present tense experience that we're having. And it becomes the sticky surface for all other hurt to stick to. And, yeah. and, as, and as you can see over time, the angst of the human spirit then is magnified by whatever those life experiences are. And because we don't have a way to frame it in a context to put it inside of, we then uh, begin to experience the psychological wounding of guilt and shame, abandonment, rejection, all those things, mm-hmm. which, which, which then yeah. just magnifies the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. You talked about in uh, the the paragraph that you post um, before the show um, that we can focus on the victimization we experience in our lives um, and never really learn how uh, this initial beginning sets the tone the tone of things to come. And I just oh, that really that that word victimization kind of really stood out to me because that's so so true. Because yeah. with the the psychological wounding and people not really understanding where where is this coming from? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why does my life feel off? There is a sense of being a victim of that, but not really understanding why you feel like a victim. Yeah, I think if there's one major, and there's many, but if there's one major shortcoming uh, that I'm hearing in a lot of the spiritual teachings that are that are out there, uh, is that we are kind of using the word interchangeably. Victimization is being used interchangeably with suffering. And we're getting mm-hmm. people like Eckhart Tolle, Tony Robbins, 
and some other, you know, I'm sure Deepak Chopra, even Wayne Dyer, when he was alive, they were all saying you don't have to suffer anymore. What they're really saying is you don't have to be a victim anymore. Yeah. And there is a huge difference because one is a spiritual wound, which is built in. It's like saying you don't have to have the angst of being cut away from the eternal when when in actuality you need that angst because without it you would not be moved towards the truth. Mm. Victimization, wow. victimization, on the other hand, is you know moving you towards a false idea of who you are, based upon behavior, based upon um, belief systems, whatever. But it's a huge difference, yeah. I mean, can you see the difference? Very much so, and that really, really needs to be clarified. That that's so helpful to anybody who's listening now, or or who will listen to the show, or find you and follow you. That clarification is so important. Yeah, and when people ask me, you know, in, in my own life, because I, I was a victim in the beginning, and, and victim in the sense that I I had shame, I had abandonment, I had rejection. I was kicked out of heaven and had to dig my way back in, so to speak, or kicked out of life and had to dig my way back in. And when people, you know, would ask me, you know, how'd you do it when so many people weren't able to do it and, and what was so unique about you versus everybody else, and... I didn't know until later on in my life uh, because I gave really kind of weak answers like I was lucky or I was blessed or, you know, some of the, you know, I got, you know, some of the right people got a hold of me. And of course, some of this, you know, that part's true, but, uh, but the blessed and lucky part didn't, didn't, didn't feel true as I said it. And I think, I think now I know that I just chose not to identify myself as a victim, even though I had undergone an enormous amount of victimization. Mm-hmm. And and this and this is again, words are important. Language is important as we talk about these things. It's very important to say that that the human condition suffers. It does so to awaken us to a present tense life. Wow, which is and, that and, is so yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without the angst, we would never move. The, without the the frustration and the angst of the human spirit, which is, and again, I'm I'm saying spirit, and and this is again another another key phrase to say. We are feeling beings having psychological experiences, and mm. and what happens is the feeling being that we are. It's overtaken by the emotional being that be, that we become, because psychological beings or a psychological existence um, requires a lot of emotional stuff. And so, it, it, again, we we use those words interchangeably: feelings and emotions, as if they're the same thing. A feeling is a reaction to the present moment; an emotion is a reenactment of something that has already happened. So it's déjà vu. Mm-hmm. Tied to memory mm-hmm. and tied to tied to a pattern of thought. So, so we could change that original phrase that that, that you know from "I am a spiritual being having psychological experiences" to "I am a feeling being having psychological experiences," yeah. because that's what the yeah. human spirit is. It is feeling life in the present moment. And so, guess what the psychological wound is? Then, I mean, if if the spiritual wound is a um, is an event that happens outside of time that separates us from God. And a psychological wound is a wound that divides us against ourselves and against other people. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we either divide it against ourselves or we're divided against the culture. So that division cr- 
creates a broken spirit, and a broken spirit turns mean-spirited. And so mean-spiritedness ends up becoming the challenge. You know, how volatile do I allow my angst to get before the volatility overtakes me? And that literally is the challenge, and that's the spiritual work. And and but again, the you can see how it gets kind of convoluted and confused when people teach it or talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and and I really think overall, um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, confusion uh, amongst people um, when you were talking about um, becoming an emotional being and kind of. Um, I don't know, it's almost like we forget that we're a feeling being. But part of that forgetting is once we become an an emotional being, we attach to those emotions and we think our emotions are who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, or or we think our thoughts are who we are. Uh, because because you know we say in the in the counseling profession that a thought goes nowhere without a charge. Well, we're saying that a thought goes nowhere without an emotional charge. And so it's it's not it's not so much that we forget to feel; we just don't trust our feelings anymore. Mm-hmm. And it happens so early that dependent upon the volatility that you are that you're exposed to, like your life compared to my life, I mean I had much more volatility in my life. So my exposure to volatility meant that my angst was more severe and and I had to contend with that. And I think what people need to understand is you don't have to dissipate feelings. You dissipate emotions. And what I mean by that is you you're trying to lower the volume of your thoughts you're trying to get a handle on your emotions so that that the that the tide uh, of your emotions doesn't overwhelm you your feelings are rarely going to overwhelm you unless you're being threatened in some way uh, in real time unless you've got a real trauma to deal with your feelings are not going to overwhelm you your emotions will mm-hmm. not only that we store the emotions with a pattern of thinking so the emotions are not operating alone. They're operating with a pattern of thought. And one feeds off the other. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to ask that, of course, we have emotions because we're human beings and that is part of the human condition. But what gives those emotions an intensity, a charge? What what charges the emotions? Well, well it's it's the memories that we have attached to the pain. You know, mm-hmm. and because remember the the hard drive for emotional pain is the human ego, and so the human ego stores away every psychological wound that we have, every pattern of thought that went with it, and every emotion that went with it. And then all we have to do to go back and retrieve it is for it to somehow be triggered by an outside event. And the interesting part about that is the body can't tell the difference between an inside-outside event. So you could relive the trauma simply by Mm. replaying the pattern of thought. And so it's a big deal to make the distinction between am I a feeling being or am I an emotional being? And uh, and then make a choice of how you're going to respond in a given moment. Am I going to feel my way through it? Or am I going to emote my way through it? And literally the way I see that in my head and the way I see that in the work that I do is that a a feeling person 
is is touching everything, every object in the room, like a blind person learning a, a new environment. A feeling person is touching their way through it, feeling their way through it as they try to sort out what to do next. An emotional person is operating in the dark without doing that. Mm. Where a feeling person is operating awake and in the moment. It's like the difference between having the lights on and not having the lights on. So the emotion, because it's tied to the ego, is trying to sort out our lives in the dark. And I say in the dark, and by that I mean unconsciously. As we emote, mm-hmm. as we emote through our lives, we are unconsciously trying to figure out what to do next. But if we're feeling our way through, we're conscious, which means the light is on. Mm-hmm. And, we can, and we can then see our way through in a totally different kind of way. I was thinking when you asked me the question, how, how, did, how did I know I was a spiritual being? And I was thinking about that as the show was kind of unfolding. <laughs> here and I think my saving grace for me was that somehow I stayed connected to a knowing within myself it was a knowing that was just there Mm -hmm. versus um, just taking in any belief or belief systems that were kind of being um, aimed towards me I always had this this sense of knowingness Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's a hard thing to explain, but that really was was a saving grace that kept me connected to knowing there was something um, beyond the mundane, beyond the um, psychological conditioning. Well, and we were talking, I was talking again to my intern before the show started. Uh, one of the things that allows us to hold on to that knowing is faith. But again, mm-hmm. but then again, if you ask a lot of people, where does faith come from? A lot of people struggle with that answer. If I ask you where faith comes from, do you do you have an answer for that? Do you have any thoughts about where faith comes from? Um, I think it just is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it just is. I, it's, well, I um... wish that were true. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I I think. I, yeah, that that would imply that there isn't any precursor. There's no precursor event. There's no precursor anything that you just kind of come into the world naturally with all kinds of faith. If you look at if you look at the definition of faith, it is hope that has been rewarded. And so, people that have faith have had a positive experience with hope. And so, and so we'd be hard-pressed right now to go back into your childhood and go back into my childhood and say, when did we get our hope rewarded? But we can say that it was because we held on to our faith. I don't think that we come into the world just with built-in 100% faith. I think that it is uh, because it's up against a lot of odds, this business of faith. <laughs> um, so so what i so i think what reinforces faith is that we were hopeful that there was a larger truth than the one we were born into and then lo and behold that somehow got rewarded that hopefulness and mm-hmm. i think i think that's the precursor for optimism mm-hmm. because people that lack faith are pessimistic because well, every because because every time they had a hopeful moment, they did not have any positive reinforcement that then kind of solidified that faith was uh, was valid. So I, I don't know I don't know if you agree with that, but that's that's kind of the way I see it as a as a 
is a psycho-spiritual uh, teacher. I see it kind of that way. That I, I don't know that we come into the world. Uh, I, we certainly come into the world naive, and we come into the world as many people uh, think uh, is a is a clean slate, and that clean slate then gets uh, contaminated by a lot of outside forces, and the way that we're able to ward that off is hopeful moments that have been rewarded. Yeah, and I I definitely can see that um, if your outlook is positive, that um, there's hope and hope is rewarded, and that then creates faith. And I'm thinking, you know, the reason for my answer of faith just is, I think, because from a very young age, I did see so much good in the world. I just you know, I saw the good, which created the hope, which was, you know, the positive. But you also, but you also, like a lot of other optimistic people, had blind faith, right? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not saying that to pick on you because that's a lot of people. And uh, and but that but that's part of the problem. You see, is is that and look what a requirement. I mean, religion requires blind faith, for goodness sakes, right? So blind faith is something that we all have experience with. I think truly spiritual seekers uh, may start out with some blind faith, but then their eyes open up and they see, <laughs> and, and the world looks more clear in those open, wide-eyed kind of moments. And uh, so it's it's a defense. It's a, in fact, it would be an egoic defense to only see life as you want to see it versus life as it is. And we all have done that at some point. And but I, but I think that. True spiritual seekers are trying to find a, a place of truth that feels real, and faith is what gives us the endurance to be able to do that. I hear what you're saying, and and I can see where that's true. I, I guess, yeah, I guess for me, the a lot of the good that I saw was not always connected to people. It was just there's so mm-hmm. much there is so much good in life, and. I don't know that it was blind faith. I don't know. Well, well, you're making the distinction, and I appreciate this. You're making the distinction between life as a whole, mm-hmm. and we're talking nature. <laughs> I know you're. I know you're referring to nature, and referring yeah, that's a big to part. yeah, and referring to the mystery and the beauty and the wonderment of life. Being yeah, the one, adventure. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and the adventure being one kind of place to look and focus to then hold on to your optimism. But when mm-hmm. you got into the world of relationships and people, what happened? I didn't have a clue what was <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and I'm not saying that to pick on you, but I'm just saying that, that that's but that's that's part of the process. I mean that literally that's what happens. I mean it's it's almost like that the uh the ego is a defense you know, as is, is it adapts to the world, tends to, to see what it wants to see and blocks out the rest. This is what the ego mm-hmm. does. Yeah, and, uh, mm-hmm. and the soul, of course, doesn't do that. The soul would say, wait a minute, you got to see it all. You can't just see what you want to see. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, so, and so it's a defense for us to, uh, to, to do that. And we've all done it. I mean, what, what that's called in psychology is normalization. We just normalize all that we think is abnormal, <laughs> we normalize it somehow, and and we do that so we can tolerate it, 
so we can live with that, you know, and then and then say to ourselves, well, that may be the way it is, but that's not the world I live in, or that's not, or that's not my world, and um, and you know, I've done that. Everybody's done that at some point. the 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 human ego is quite artful at how it uh, how it adapts to to life as it is, uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so I think it's a very common thing to do. But I think what I want the listeners to hear, and, and certainly what I'm trying to bring with the teachings that I'm doing, is is that th- th- these terms like faith and love and truth and freedom and spirituality versus uh, versus a psychological existence, these these things are important to get out in a, in some kind of dialogue, so that we can see in a in a some some continuous way what is the human condition. We all come into it the same way. We all end up having some of the same early experiences. The only thing that sets us apart really is the volatility of that experience hmm. and and how much it thrusts us into our emotional adjustment because we all make emotional adjustments because we all get exposed to guilt and shame. There's no way to avoid it. It's part hmm. of it. What do you mean by emotional adjustments? Well, the emotional adjustment to guilt and shame. Mm. Yeah, there's no mm. way. I mean, it's it's almost like being born into a sunny day and being born into a rainy and cloudy day. <laughs> and then and then having to polarize is the world rainy and cloudy or is the world sunny and bright and beautiful? Well, actually it's both. But if you gave the ego a choice, mm. it would pick the sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> if you gave the ego a choice, it would pick, it would polarize to the side of that equation that, that it thinks is positive, and say, "Well, you know, I think the world is sunny and bright and beautiful, uh, and I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna act like I didn't experience the rainy and the thunder and the lightning days. They didn't happen, right? Um, and so, and so that's 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 the choice I think we all have to contend with at some point. So I'm implying in in the work that I do, Irma, that there's no way to escape that our spirit gets broken. Mm. The really the only thing that really sets us apart is the volatility of the break. And for a lot of people, it's subtle, and it's insidious, and it's uh, and it's it's and it's long it's long it's long term. You know, it's an insidious long term kind of kind of event. And for some people like me, it was an abrupt event in several abrupt events. You see that the kind of the kind of uh forced me to deal with with that. And of course, the compensation in the culture for this has always been uh religiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh that's been the compensation that something or someone is going to save us from ourselves, from this reality mm-hmm. that we are born into uh and we have to um adjust to. I mean, why do we have to adjust, right? Wouldn't it be great if yeah. we were born into a world where no adjustments were necessary? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of world that would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's my point, that a that a, a, a spiritual being that's born into a psychological existence means that I am a a feeling person born into a world that requires adjustments. Hmm. I have to adjust. I have to adapt. I have to fit in. I have to 
get in line. I have to put a saddle and a bit in my mouth and a saddle on my back. <laughs> I have to I have to get I have to go to work. I gotta punch in and I gotta punch in at eight and punch out at five. I have bills to pay. I have all these responsibilities, these obligations. I have all these commitments and all these different things. So we have to get we have to get in line like everybody else. Hmm. And do our do our duty, whatever our duties are, and uh, and and do our obligations, and and in fact, many of these obligations are considered to be rites of passage in the culture. And all hmm. of these require some kind of an adjustment. You know, when you look at when you look at a, at a ten year old that is in a situation, not much unlike the one that I was born into, which is chaotic and dysfunctional. If that little boy or little girl could raise their hand. You know, to ask a question. You know what the question would be? Hmm. Can I just be ten? Can I just hmm. be ten? I don't hmm. want to be thirty. I don't want to be thirty. I don't care about the trouble at school and at the and that the educational uh, or that the school system has problems. I don't care that the that the economy's collapsed. I just want to be ten. Why do I have to worry about all these hmm. adult problems? You see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and 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 let's make it more dysfunctional. Why do I have to worry about dad's drinking? Why do I have to worry that mom got pregnant with me and she wasn't ready to have me, and so she didn't really want me? Why do I have to? Do, why can't I just be ten? Wow. And yeah. so, and, yeah, and so that that's the question we, we as children we would all raise our hand. And so I I think that what I'm trying to say today in the soul's intent is I'm trying to get people to raise their hands. And ask those kinds of questions. Why do I have to do it this way? Why do I have to be like this? Why so many adaptions? Why huh. so many adjustments? You know, why do I have to do this for love? Why do I have to do this to be successful? Why can't I just be? It's a great question, isn't it? Yeah. And the answer to it is, well, you're a you're a you're you're in a psychological existence that requires these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're in a you're in a culture, you're in a world that requires a certain set of uh, of standards, a certain set of rules and laws and regulations and and beliefs that you have got to somehow get inside of, or you are in conflict with those things. And if you're in mm-hmm. conflict with those things too much, you're in trouble. And, and you know when this hits, this this typically hits us in uh, in pre-adolescence. It hits us around the onset of hormones, around 11, 12, 13 years of age. When when we start having estrogen and testosterone shooting through our bodies, emotions are magnified, mm-hmm. and then and then the magnification that is tied to those hormones is then a bunch of thought patterns. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not uh, you know I, I don't have a clue what I'm doing enough. <laughs> you know. You know, I'm just kind of faking it until I make it. You know, this is a lot of young people, and we all go through this. We all go through this, and I and I think what's happened uh, is is that the rites of passage have got confusing. They're kind of cloudy and murky now. Yeah, I think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so, what's really great about that is those were all psychological rites of passage. They were not spiritual rites of passage. A spiritual rite of passage is how do I hang on to who I am? How do I hang on to why I am, what I am, where I am? How do I hang on to that? Which is totally different than, you know, how do I become what it is the world's telling me I need to become? Those are psychological rites of passage. Wow. Well, then I would think as parents, 
Um, that would be the approach to take in raising children. Oh, to, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hang on to yeah. yourself. Hang on to yourself at all costs. Yeah. yeah. And instead of telling, you know, children, this is what you should think and this is what you should feel, ask them, what do you think? What yeah. do you feel? Because that would strengthen them holding on to their their um, beingness, their mm-hmm. authenticness. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and when you think about, you know, we've we've talked many times on many shows about the soul's intent. You know, what exactly is the intention of the soul? Well, its intention has already happened, which it has embodied us, and so the soul's intent is that we be fully embodied in a culture that throws us in our head. And and, mm-hmm. and if we live our lives in our head, uh, then we're not going to be fully in our bodies. And so the, the potential guidance, the potential intelligence of the soul is diminished and repressed and constricted. And real freedom is when that doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. And we know where this is in the culture. We tend to see it in older people. You know, I've talked about this. They drive slower. They move slower. They let go of things. (laughs) You know, I said the other day in one of our shows that uh, it it tends to happen around 40. That You know, we just kind of look at the world and say, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) 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 And somewhere around 40, we just, you know what? This is who I am. This is where I'm at. You know, you can take me or leave me. I don't care. Uh, Well, why, why does it have to, why does it have to be 40, you see? That we, mm-hmm. that we have yeah. to that we have to wait until that time, and I think part of it is that, that we're conditioned to stay in the in the box and stay in the on the track, and I and, and which is totally different than a path because a track has a very specific place that it is going. A path is is random and um, and is open and can go in all kinds of different directions. A track goes mm-hmm. from point A to point Z. It's linear. Mm-hmm. And and so so we're focused on the trip and and the destination and not focused on the journey, which is life yeah. itself. Focused on life mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. I'm just kind of taking everything in and um just the just the clarification. It's it's so important because until I started listening to you, I, I really didn't hear a lot of that that clarification. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the words that we use to describe these experiences need to be clear. Victimization is not the same thing as suffering, human mm-hmm. suffering. You know, and I said to you once before on a different show, I'm sure, that we ask the question all the time, and we've been asking it since the beginning of time, why do human beings suffer? Well, the way we pose the question, it seems like we're asking God. And what and 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 it's not for us to ask if we pose that question to God. And so what I'm encouraging people to do is, well, you know, bring it down to something you can relate to. Let's talk to each other. Why am I suffering? And then and then you can come up with an answer. The you know, the the, the spiritual answer is for you to be uh, provoked awake by your suffering. To self-correct. The psychological answer is to break the pattern of thought and emotion that is keeping you debilitated. And we're so focused on the psychological debilitation and calling that human suffering 
Well, that's just that's just an extension of the source wound. Now, now what you posted in the paragraph, now it all just came together for me. And especially it seems, well, I was going to say in the the Western culture, but that's the only culture I know, um, we're so focused on the the psychological wounds. And calling that human suffering when really that is the, mm. it's the residual of a psychological existence. It isn't human suffering. Human mm. suffering is being cut away from the source. That's human suffering. Psychological suffering is being cut away from ourselves, being divided. We really need to get that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to change as, as human beings, to really evolve, we have to get that. I think we're moving, you know, and, and, and you know, we, we throw the word integrity around a lot. And I think that if there's one thing that I want to do with the teachings that are under the umbrella of the soul's intent is to really reevaluate what spiritual integrity would be, you know, which, which, which in, you know, from my perspective is no longer doing self-deception. That would be true spiritual integrity. I won't lie to myself anymore about anything. And you can see how important self-deception is. Self-deception in a psychological sense is delusional. I will no longer delude myself about what is true and what is false. And I won't put so much energy into what is right and what is wrong because that's in the eye of the beholder. That's in the eye of the culture. That's in the eye of the religion. Uh, what's true and what's false is that you know is is what's most important here, and so and and I have a built-in compass. I have a built-in way to understand what is true and what is false, and the mechanism that allows me to sort that out, and the discernment that that is there for me to work that out. But I have to do it. I you know I as an individual, you have to do it. We all have to, you know, we all have to uh, travel the path. That isn't somebody else can't travel it for us. And in that traveling is uh, is the journey of of seeking clarity of the subjective experience that is me that is just so crystal clear and you can see how the subjectivity that is me gets contaminated it gets contaminated by my emotions because my feelings have been given a back seat my feelings are not trusted my feelings do not have station in other words my reaction to the immediate moment is being overwhelmed by my emotional reenactment of life as it has happened to me instead of life that has been given to me and what was it that uh, that our guy said the other day that um, uh, that if people could just if if people could just understand that life is happening for you not to you and and, and uh, then all suffering ends. Then all suffering would just end if you could just understand that life yeah. is for you. It is not something that's happening to you. Well, life is only for you if you embrace that you are connected to life, that you have this eternal connection to it. Because otherwise, you're just swimming in your victimization, and that's what he really meant. All victimization ends when you embrace yeah. life. That if you understand that we all get. You know, men get 79 years, women get 81 years. This is the this is the you know the age they're saying now for life expectancy. I get 79, you get 81 years. Don't waste any of that time being a victim. And that's what we're not saying to people. Instead, we're saying that you don't have to suffer, which is not valid at all. This isn't about awakening and become conscious so that you don't have to have any more friction. Friction is evidence that you are alive. But to equate that 
with victimization is way way off the mark and and that's you know and that's part of the problem is we don't we're not oriented to the task of what it means to be feeling beings having psychological experiences so if if suffering is um built into the human experience which I understand that it is, and I accept that it is, and it's for the purpose of self-correction and to be... Um, and when I say self-correct, I mean self-evolution. I mean, what are you correcting? Yeah, what what are you correcting for? Well, you're correcting to evolve. That's the only reason. To, you're not correcting because you're wrong or you're broken or you're unworthy or undeserving. You're self-correcting to be all that you can be to evolve. Your definition of evolving is reaching your fullest potential? Become awakened to life as it is instead of life as it should mm -hmm. be, could be, or might be, or ought to be. As Eckhart Tolle says, to the now. Well, what's the benefit of the now if you cannot be fully in it? A bunch of us have all kinds of moments of now. But then... How long do we stay in the now, which is another word for the present? How how often do we stay in the present? How long do we stay there before the ego takes us back to another time? How long before before we regress? And for most people, it's Monday when they go back to work. <laughs> so when we do that, then we're back into the suffering? No, we're back into the victimization. Remember what the victimization is. The victimization of the human condition is that we are slaves to the collective ego and, and to all of what that means. And so what we got to do is to strike a balance that isn't either or, you know, that we strike a balance to, you know, find a halfway place between our conditioned and our programmed life and the life that we would choose to have and to be. Strike some balance. A, a, a truly spiritually evolved person learns how to walk between the worlds of matter and spirit. So that means walk between the material world and the spiritual. And that bridge mm -hmm. is very important to build between those two worlds. It isn't either or dynamic. And so most of us are kind of lost in the, in the robotic uh, kind of conditioned life that we have and we take a recess, we take a break, we look for a vacation from that robotic existence. But that that doesn't give us any spiritual um contentment. It's it's a time out. And so it's it's like which reality do I want to identify with? Which route which reality do I want to live in? And how do I take this if we're coming home to ourselves then we should be able to take the home anywhere that we are, at work, in play, wherever that we are. We should have our home with us. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. And how in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.